Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, here we go. Let's see what happens today. Welcome in, everybody. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring, back into time, and get hooked up with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, what's going on in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee? Oh, beautiful day, my man. Really, really nice. A little cool last night down there into the into the 40s. You know, um, but uh, that's nice. I'll take it. Uh, we're getting 70s in the day and beautiful, beautiful weather. Uh, leaves are beginning to turn a little bit. And so uh, nice. It's a it's a great time of year up here in this part of the country, and wow, I've uh, uh, I've kind of recently moved to Sevierville and out of the smoky, out of the actual mountains there mm-hmm. in Cosby, mm-hmm. where I was. Right, but uh, and I found out how many people love the Smoky Mountain National Park. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow! It's the most visited national park that we have, and probably in the world. Who knows? But yeah. Uh, but is, but uh, Sevierville, that area where you are, that's still a real nice area, though. Oh yeah, gosh, man, great view, views of the Smokies, uh, and uh, but everybody's got to come through there. It seems like wow to get yeah. there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's just <laughs> traffic here is is pretty uh, is pretty remarkably bad. But uh, at the same time, wow. Uh, I don't blame everybody for coming here. It is a beautiful place to live. Hey, we know what you mean because a lot of people say you can't get to Panama City Beach without driving through Dothan, Alabama, which, <laughs> which by the way, when we hit 69 or 68 degrees, whoo, that's a cool spell down this way. So anyway. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you know, this is a different it's a different animal here. Yeah. But, uh, but wow, it's a, it's a pretty cool animal. Yeah, you're talking 40, so yeah, you're, you're talking almost winter for us. All right, listen, I got to tell you, man, what a great show last week, Stud. That was a ton of fun. You know I'm a fan of Harley Race and hearing the stories. Harley defended the NWA world title in both territories on the show last week, and all kinds of records were set at the end of September of 1978. Fans saw some fantastic world title matches in person, face-to-face, and really got some huge surprises. And I know your Studcast fans enjoyed the heck out of that last week. Well, you you covered it pretty good, man. Uh, it did <laughs> set a whole lot of records, and wow, what some fantastic matches. Uh, these broadways, I call them, these 60-minute matches can be just phenomenal. 
uh, fans get uh, really, really uh, to experience what wrestling should be all about. I don't think they do them anymore, Dave. I doubt there's ever been one in the last 20 years, maybe. <laughs> uh, a 60-minute match. But, yeah. uh, wow, yeah. those matches were so phenomenal. And uh, and along with, uh, you know, uh, uh, my, my turning baby face, uh, you know, uh, uh, up in south, down there in the southeastern Gulf Coast, and my brother Rob was uh, down there at this point, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and the Mongolian Stomper just arrived there. Don Carson was there, Gorgeous George Jr., and uh, and there were some changes coming down there. We're adding another English star, a great friend of uh, Tony Charles, uh, called Sir Winston. So uh, we're we're about to uh, do some things uh, in both of the territories and in southeastern Knoxville. The, the big old Japanese star, man, and the fan favorite there, uh, Tor Tanaka. He's going to be uh, on the next card uh, down in the southeastern Knoxville area. And some new faces are also going to be arriving there. Uh, Ken Dillinger is a new mass man coming called a destroyer. <laughs> uh, hippie Mike Boyette, you familiar with him, my man, I'm Heck sure. Yeah, yeah. An old star from the former Gulf Coast Territory is going to make his first appearance here, Everett. Hmm. Uh, Mike Stalling is going to be returning soon, and uh, and uh, he's going to be ending his southeastern Gulf Coast run. Wow. Hey, you were not exaggerating at all, Ron, if I counted correctly. That's 10 wrestlers, both new and former stars, being injected into the two southeastern territories right so uh, uh, yes that's correct yes. man wow you did a good job tallying <laughs> that up my man i'm glad i got 10 fingers it, it looks like it was going to be a really busy end of the year well that's for sure you know i, I was going to be back and forth on a regular basis but uh, at least as a baby face in both territories I don't come north and, uh, and be a baby face and go south and be a heel. Well, that's a little difficult sometimes to to uh, to pull that off. So there was a lot more changes other than just the talent coming. The entire style of booking in both the territories was uh, also about to change. Uh, Robert was taking over the booking in Gulf Coast, and uh, Bob Roop was uh, in charge of Knoxville at this point. And, and I was going to be in and out of both territories and uh, finish. And I was basically finishing the most strenuous schedule of events and traveling uh, in the history of my career at this point. And in fact, I sat down the other day, Dave, and I figured out how hard I had been working in that first nine months of 1978. Hmm. And at that point, I had apartments in both territories, two apartments. Uh, I had wrestled 250 out of the 270 days of the year so far. Wow. Uh, we're nine months into that 1978. I'd only been off 20 days out of 270. I wrestled 160 times in Gulf Coast and 90 times in Southeastern Knoxville. Oh uh, I traveled almost 200,000 miles in only nine months. And that's including, obviously, the round trip plane flights from one territory to the other. Wow. Listen, folks, folks who know the legend, the late legendary Charlie Daniels, they can relate to that because Charlie Daniels was notorious for touring and he was going to be out there two or maybe even 250 days a year playing. And so he was every, of course, he's from, from middle Tennessee, but man, he was, he was that busy also. 
And that that's kind of crazy that it's something to compare to with a tour a tour guy like somebody like Charlie Daniels. Anyway, this is absolutely remarkable. And you had another three months to go before the year was even done, right? Yeah, yeah man. Uh, and I was exhausted, man. I, I remember recalling back, and then especially when I looked at some of these facts and figures, I had about uh, one more month to go in the Gulf Coast uh, before I was even scheduled to return to Knoxville. That pretty much full time once I went back to Knoxville. Wow. And I was hoping that once I got back to Knoxville, the end of the year was going to be a little easier. Hmm. But I was finding out, Dave, nothing was easier, man, when you had two territories. God. There was no easy ever. Hey, I tell you, I'm worn out just listening to that nine month schedule. All right. So, how about we get out of the car, off the plane, change gears, find out where we're going to be riding this week and what is the title? of this stud cast. It is not filled in yet. And I'm getting a little curious. Well, like I said, a few minutes ago, while I was looking back at the year of 1978, uh, I found myself looking back all the way to 1975. I, you know, I looked at 78 and then I got a little bit curious. Wow. How was I doing compared to 75? Uh, and that was, uh, just two months after I started Southeastern wrestling, I opened up in the fall, uh, actually, uh, about the 1st of November in 1974. And so I got to looking at 1975 and I was amazed at what happened that year. Hmm. And I, and I thought a little change, uh, before we continue 1978 might be interesting for the listeners, you know, hmm. uh, especially for those that missed that time frame. That right. Spend, uh, maybe take this stud cast and uh, spend this time discussing where all of this two-territory stuff that's going on in 1978 got started, how all this began for fans that maybe joined uh, Studcast later on. And uh, and I think uh, other Studcast fans are going to like, uh, like this possibility as well. Well, I mean, I understand why I didn't get a title for this episode. So what are you, you going to call this one, what, th- this Studcast? Okay, so since we're about to record our 270th episode, amazing, 270th episode, uh, let's do something different today. Uh, There's a great number of new listeners out there now, and uh, maybe they might enjoy uh, getting to ride kind of from the start here, you know, back to 75 is kind of like starting to ride again. So like I said, uh, even I was amazed when I looked back at this past week you know, I look, look, took this uh, time to check back and see what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at 78. I jumped back even further. And uh, maybe those longtime riders, uh, people that have been riding with us for a long time, they might find this as interesting as I did. When mm-hmm. I looked a little bit closely at 75, I was like, wow, I can't believe all this was going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I'm going to call this studcast number 270, looking back. 1975 stars and highlights. Hey, I think that's a pretty cool idea. I wasn't, I wasn't co-hosting for that time frame. I was still doing, I've done voice work for your show for the entire time, every episode, but I'd love to find out a little bit more about the beginning of the great Southeastern wrestling company. So I, th- I think that's cool. So where do we ride first? Well, for those listeners that are new, you're going to get to hear about the stars of the first year. Uh, that's when I became not just a wrestler, but also a promoter, a booker, uh, and the owner of my own company. 
And for those that's been taking these rides weekly, I think you're going to be blown away, maybe as much as I was when I took this look back. We're going to begin with the Southeastern Stars of 1975, wrestlers that were going to put Southeastern wrestling on the road to becoming the best small territory in the world, which we would accomplish by about 1977. Uh, we were the biggest and the best uh, of the small territories. Mm -hmm. And uh, after we discussed the individual stars that I made a list of, I'm going to give fans my favorite uh, 11 matches and cards of 1975. Oh, cool. All right. Now, I think that's going to be fun, Ron. So, so let's talk about the stars that set Southeastern Wrestling on its way to success. And how do you begin a list like that? Because I know it's going to be not just huge, but really meaningful. I mean, some some major stars. Well, well, absolutely. It certainly is. And I realize that when I look back at 75. So I think I'm going to introduce them, Dave. And, uh, and I got to apologize for this in advance for those that I have not listed here. And I know I've missed some. But I'm going to try to list them uh, uh, in kind of the order of their importance uh, along with, uh, you know, their time frame. Uh, were they early in 75 or later in 75? So there's really no order here, uh, but I just want to acknowledge these people that uh, mm -hmm. helped make Southeastern Wrestling such a huge success. And I got to start it off with a guy named Ron Wright. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I do that because he was already a legend there when I arrived and, uh, and he was nice enough, him and his brother to get on board and to want to become part of it. And, and he was there beginning to end just about, and, uh, and it didn't end in a good way. And we're going to get into that when we mm -hmm. talk more about 1979, but, uh, still, you know, I have to acknowledge Ron Wright. Uh, he was a tremendous talent, uh, baby face or heel. Didn't make any difference. He mm -hmm. could do it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that's going to be the first one I want to mention. And I can't take a whole lot of time here. Gosh, I could spend uh, I could spend this entire <laughs> this entire stud cast on Ron Wright. Yeah. And in fact, I have done Ron Wright. Uh, I think he was the second show I ever did as a super stud cast. Yep. So I spent yeah. two hours on him there and fans can go and find those super stud casts. And you always mention that later in the show. But it's on my uh, website. They're all there at tnstud.com. And uh, so uh, Ron Wright is first on my list. The second on my list is a guy that's world famous. And, uh, and he did so much for me, became a, a very, very close friend before it was all said and done. Wrestled for me way on into the 80s. We're talking about 75. For more than 13 years, he wrestled on my cards uh, every year and many times every year as, as a matter of fact and that was andre the giant and obviously we all know what he meant to wrestling <laughs> and uh, and he meant just the same thing to me and to my companies as well uh, he's a he's a tremendous talent and uh well all over the world maybe one of the most rec probably the most recognizable wrestler in maybe the history of the sport <laughs> Uh, next guy on my list, Danny Hodge. Uh, Danny Hodge was there with me in 1975. Uh, he caused me to have a little problem there because of his 
of his uh, pushing uh, the, uh, the next guy on the list uh, uh, to do something crazy, man, uh, uh, and uh, cost me cost me a little bit of money and uh, cost me a little bit of a problem. But Danny Hodge was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, maybe the greatest amateur wrestler of all time. Uh, good enough that uh, now the best wrestler in the country every year, amateur-wise, uh, in high school, uh, collegiate specifically, is uh, they get the Danny Hodge Award. So, uh, you know, that's, that says everything about his importance <laughs> to not just professional wrestling, but to amateur wrestling as well. Yeah. Uh, next guy uh, just mentioned a little bit of a problem that he and Danny had, uh, and it wasn't really a problem because Danny forced him to do something he didn't want to do. That was Dale Lewis, another great amateur. Uh, and uh, they, these two guys were critical to the early part of 1975 because the Knoxville territory had not been filled with a lot of amateur stars with a lot of great wrestling. They were filled with a lot of street fights and uh, chain matches and uh, it was a different type of thing when I arrived there, and I wanted to change the everything about the, the wrestling there as much as I could. And uh, that's where Danny Hodge, the Dale Lewis guys, those great amateurs came in there, and they showed people that there's another way to wrestle. And uh, it kind of changed everything for, for me in 1975, changed everything. It put Southeastern on the road to be in a legitimate sport. Mm. And, it, and it, it, it needed that. I had to, had to do that, I think, to make it the success it became. Uh, Dutch Mantel, next one on my list. And Dutch came there uh, uh, as a young guy, uh, really with burning desire to be good. Uh, he had an old partner with him, an old Englishman named uh, John Foley. And John Foley was another one of those shooters who was, wow, really, really tough. The fans never realized how bad he could be, John Foley. Uh, but John Foley and Dutch Mantell became my first big tag team and, uh, and carried the load for the first few months in that territory. Uh, Jerry Lawler, next guy on my list, uh, from across the state, Memphis, uh, he he became the consummate star in Memphis, Tennessee. He is a, he's a legend beyond all others there. Uh, I don't think anybody uh, had as many great matches as Jerry Lawler or as many sellouts in Memphis as Jerry Lawler had. And he came regularly for me. Uh, he was a great friend, and he wanted to help me build the territory. And he, he basically, when I started there in 1974 and then 75, we had a discussion. I actually went to Memphis in 75 and wrestled there a lot. And he told me almost every time I was there, Ron, put book me whenever you want. I want to help you. And wow, he really was a, a big help for me. Wow. Yeah. Another guy. Uh, Dave, uh, in that same time frame, another big star in Memphis, that same time frame, uh, wouldn't do the same thing. And that was Jackie Fargo. <laughs> uh, and uh, the fabulous one, Jackie, man, wow, what a great, great wrestler he was. And, uh, 
and a big star wherever he went, not just in Tennessee, wherever he went and wrestled, he was a major star. And Jackie Fargo, uh, same thing as Jerry Lawler. Ron, I want to help you. Uh, I think you're going to do good over there and uh, put me on the card when you want. And uh, no, I really, really appreciated those things. It was really, really necessary. Next guy, first ever NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, probably one of, definitely one of the greatest world champions of all time. Not just in the NWA. He held titles in other organizations before the NWA was established. Mm-hmm. And that was Luthes. The great one. Yeah. The great one. Yeah. And, uh, certainly is. And, uh, and I was able to wrestle Lou on several different occasions. Uh, Lou took really great care of me as a heel. I started out in 1975 as a heel in Southeastern. And I wrestled Lou. And he he put me over every time, which was – that was just unbelievable to me. And, uh, and it said a lot for how he felt about me. But it was not just me that Lou – really was uh, beholden to, it was my family. It was my dad. It was really my grandfather, Roy, who was one of the founders of the NWA in 1948. So when Lou was there, we talked my family. That's all he wanted to talk, Lester and, and the Fields brothers. And while he knew them all, he had wrestled for all of them. Uh, and he was maybe one of the most consummate professional uh, champions that, of any sport. Wow. wow, he was a great credit to to his sport. Did did he was he the type that just liked to talk about the old times, the old the the uh, guys that came before him? Was that the kind of conversations you you two got into? Well, he wanted to talk about the he wanted to talk about the the newer times, but I wanted to talk about the old guys. <laughs> right? Okay. I knew these names, and yeah. I was I was always questioning him about uh, you know if if we had a discussion and I brought it up, it was talking about somebody from the old days. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. And see. there's another guy on this list that is one of those guys from the old days. Yeah. That was a great friend of mine, but uh, yeah, Lou was really. Lou was just a great guy. Uh, he was really, really into interested in my family uh, yeah. because we had such a great uh, history. Uh, he recognized it. And uh, so, you know, we talked a whole lot about my family. I bet you. Uh, the I bet next you one on yeah. my list, man, uh, probably uh, people won't probably be aware of. And he actually only wrestled for me once, but it was so important to me because his name was big in wrestling at that point. And I had met him in St. Louis in 1973 and 74. He worked St. Louis a lot. I was working St. Louis a lot for the NWA president, Sam Muchnick. And, uh, and he said, Ron, book me. I want to work for you at least once. I want to help you get started. And that was Bobo Brazil. Yeah. Uh, Great wrestler. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, uh, worldwide, worldwide star. Uh, uh, next one is uh, Cowboy Bill Watts. Uh, and, uh, and him, and this is kind of a, a group came early on out of Florida because I had been in Florida for four years and they all, when I left there, wish me the best. And they all, everybody on those cards says, Ron, I want to come and work for you. I want to help you get your business started. 
And uh, he was one of them, Cowboy Bill Watts. He was the booker when I left Florida for Eddie Graham. And uh, since we mentioned Eddie Graham, uh, Eddie and Mike, his son Mike, are, are on this list uh, that I've got as well because not just Cowboy Bill Watts came, but on the, one of the same shows, Eddie and Mike Graham came as well. Uh, they supported me, man, uh, from the Florida Territory when I was a young guy, and I needed it. Uh, and wow, the matches those guys had. Uh, it, these people in, in Knoxville back in that time frame, Dave, they, had, they were seeing the greatest in the world. Oh, and no they, they had yeah. never, ever, ever seen this type of talent. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know every it was an every night they went and these people were on the card. It was an education for them. They saw things that I don't think they would have ever seen if I hadn't have come to Knoxville and uh, and started my own company. Uh, two more guys here that I'm about to mention: uh, uh, Rick Flair and Ken Patera. Uh, both of them, 1975 young guys. Uh, just like I was, basically, you know, and, uh, and and headed for a great future, obviously Flair for a tremendous future. Ken Patera was a tremendous athlete, uh, and uh, they came and wrestled each other for me, uh, which was, wow, it was, a, it, it was a phenomenal match, not just a phenomenal match, but at the same time, it was a, f- a phenomenal experience for those that sit in that building in the Coliseum to watch it. Uh, and those guys, uh, uh, Flair was a lifelong friend. Uh, I never got to meet, uh, spending time with Patera because they came out of the Mid-Atlantic uh, territory to wrestle for me in that one event. Uh, next is another world champion, uh, one that I wrestled in uh, April. 1975, uh, wow, one of the greatest amateurs of all time, uh, became the professional champion, and uh, Jack Briscoe was uh, legendary, like like a lot of others that NWA champions. Uh, Jack is uh, is still today a legend. And uh, also his brother, Jerry Briscoe, worked for me several times. And a lot of times when Jack was on the card, I would – book Jerry and Jerry was in the mid Atlantic territory. He was in the Florida territory some, but whenever Jack came to Knoxville, I knew he never got to see his brother very much Wow! when he was world champion. Wow. And I would intentionally call Jerry and say, Jerry, I want to put you on the card with Jack. And uh, wow. Jerry loved it. Obviously wow. it gave those two guys time to spend together when they Jack's on the road, your world yeah. champion. You're on that 250 days out of 270. Yeah. That's a Jack Briscoe world God. champion schedule. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, he was doing that kind of travel, except his 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 wasn't 200,000. It was probably a half a million miles a year. He was flying to Australia and flying to Japan, yeah. flying out into other countries, uh, Canada. Well, when you were world champion, uh, it was a grueling schedule. Uh, just – so uh, Jerry always appreciated that fact, and uh, and I love Jerry Briscoe. I do shows with him now. In fact, I'm going to do a show here next week with him that he he's doing podcast. And uh, so uh, those two brothers right there were phenomenal to me. Jack was kind of a, 
a tutor for me. Jack took me under his wing in 1970 when I went and started my career in Florida. And wow, he did, he did so much for me. Uh, next two guys are uh, Australians. Uh, and I spent 73, some time in 1973 in Australia, got to know them both very well. They came to America, became a sensation uh, in Memphis, in that territory. And one of them is still a sensation in Memphis. And uh, that's uh, George Barnes and uh, Bill Dundee. And wow, what a tremendous team those two guys were. And uh, they came and worked for me on many occasions, 1975. And whenever fans saw that team, they realized, man, that it's not just Americans who are great wrestlers, but they're Aussies that are just as good. Uh, next one is a Japanese guy, big star uh, off of the Memphis side of the state who came and wrestled for me on several occasions. Uh, and uh, he's another Japanese that uh, that really was so unusual. His, his style was so unusual. Uh, he was a legend in Tennessee. It didn't make any difference what city it was in Tennessee. And uh, that was Tojo Yamamoto. And uh, wow, he, whether it was Nashville, Knoxville, Memphis, Na uh, wherever, Chattanooga, mm -hmm. uh, Tojo Yamamoto was the Japanese wrestler wow. for the state of Tennessee. And the next one I'm going to have to do here is uh, he, he started in 1975 for me. He only wrestled for me about three times in 1975. It was my first experience ever with dealing with him. Uh, I met him because I wrestled against him in Memphis in 1975. He was in that territory, and I was a Southern heavyweight champion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met him there, and he is going to come to Knoxville uh, first in 1975, but he is going to become one of the maybe the man that's responsible for the uh, – success of southeastern wrestling and that's the mongolian stomper never heard of him yeah <laughs> and that's the truth man <laughs> wow i mean Vasi went everywhere and not only did he do come to knoxville and he stayed there when i went to pensacola he came there he did the same thing for us there that he had done in knoxville uh wow he owes I owe a lot to him and uh and i'm really happy to be able to recognize him wow. uh another guy a uh, great reputation around the country, around the world, uh, uh, and a tremendous talent and a great personal friend that worked for me in all of my territories was uh, the assassin Jody Hamilton, the original, the only, the one and only assassin, mm -hmm. in my opinion, uh, Jody Hamilton. Uh, I had uh, the Bass Boys. I had Ron and Don Bass who were really good talent. Mm -hmm. And I even had the opportunity to have uh, their manager, Sam Bass, who ended up wrestling some too. Uh, all of those guys involved for me, uh, especially in 1975 and getting me started in 1975. Uh, Sam Bass lost his life in a horrible car wreck in that same year, in the summer of 75. And, you know, but uh, there was a great guy. So Ron Bass, close personal friend and uh, worked for me in Pensacola as well as uh, there. Uh, next one is a cousin. Wow. Uh, and I cannot uh, take away from what uh, Jimmy Golden did for me. And uh, wow. 
and Jimmy, not is just my cousin. Jimmy is one, in my opinion, one of the great talents in the history of the sport. Mm. Uh, and when you look back at his career and uh, and all the things he's done, uh, and his and his crazy, uh, you know, bunkhouse buck <laughs> from from being bunkhouse buck, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> brother managing him, uh, Jimmy Golan could do literally anything in the ring, and. Uh, 1975, I needed that type of talent. And uh, Jimmy went with us down to southeastern Gulf Coast. And, you know, this was a – he is a, a phenomenal, phenomenal – been a phenomenal help to me. And uh, and I'm glad to have him on this list. Another one on this list becomes one of the great stars, man. He wins that NWA belt. He doesn't hold it but a week. But he becomes a star through just about everywhere he ever went is Tommy Rich. Uh, Tommy's on this list and he certainly deserves to be, uh, yeah. and he's still a great friend today. Uh, we talk a whole lot. I see him at all these, uh, different events. Uh, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be around Tommy Rich. He's a great guy and a fun guy to be with. Uh, another guy that was really, really a great star and very, uh, underrated. He did not get the acclaim he should have, uh, was Ricky Gibson. And, uh, and his brother went on to have huge success, mm -hmm. Robert Gibson, yeah. Rock and Roll Express, obviously. But Ricky was, uh, Ricky was a tremendous wrestler. Uh, and, uh, wow, gave you a great match every night. Yeah. Another guy who was not only helpful to me uh, in 1975, but was helpful to my father in just about every promotion my father ran. He was a big-name star everywhere in the world uh, and a most unusual character that uh, that uh, deserves deserves uh, respect from everybody that's ever gone to watch the wrestling match, the Sputnik Monroe. Yeah, what a name, yeah. Oh, Sputz, uh, you know, and, uh, he, and he was there for me in 75. He, he would worked as many shows as I would put him on. Uh, he wanted to help me just like he helped my father. And, uh, and he, was like a, he was like a father to me. Uh, we were so close, um, my family, this Sputnik. Uh, and the next guy is, was a partner of his, and they had a, one of the most famous tag team relationships ever. And this guy does the same thing for me in 1975. He comes there for me in 1975, and he is there for me in every territory I had all the way through, and that was Norvell Austin. And uh, yeah. another great talent, yeah. uh, really, really a great wrestler. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Tommy Siegler. I don't know if a lot of fans recognize this name. Uh, he was out of the Carolinas. Uh, came there in 75, uh, became the Southeastern, one of the first Southeastern champions, a great wrestler and a great athlete and a great guy. People loved Tommy Siegler. He became a big star in 75, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit for, for what happened uh, to make Southeastern big. Uh, my next one on there is my brother, <laughs> you know, and uh, – I don't know what to say about Rob other than the fact that, wow, he didn't just wrestle for me. Uh, he booked for us. Uh, he, he probably bled more than anybody in, in, in the history of, of, of Southeastern. 
and uh, and and probably he never he never ever complained about uh, being hurt. Uh, and he was always there, and he still is today. We have a great relationship, although everybody thinks that you know we're we're still fighting over who's the Tennessee stud. And, uh, and sometimes we do still have that argument. <laughs> sometimes you let him win, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, you know, he brings it up still today. Sometimes. Well, you know who's the real stuff. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, and then, but, uh, wow, uh, I got to give my brother credit here. Uh, then uh, Mr. Russing, uh, number one, uh, and I don't know that a lot of people uh, – Got to see him much, but I did use him. I was able to get him to wrestle for me a few times, and I had become uh, involved with him in 1970, 71, uh, 72. He was in Florida, uh, and that's Mr. Wrestling, number one, Tim Woods. Uh, Tim Woods was a phenomenal amateur wrestler in college and went on to take the name of Mr. Wrestling. He had that white mask. He and uh, – and, uh, you know, the great, uh, you know, the Mr. Wrestling number two, uh, Johnny Walker, they become tag team partners in, uh, in Atlanta and just set that territory on fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, wrestling one and two spent a lot of time there for me. But uh, Mr. Wrestling was there in 75. And all these, I want to make it, make it uh, uh, apparent to everybody that's listening that mm-hmm. – that these people, every one of them, were there in 1975. Wrestling two showed up later, and uh, a lot of them are going to come later. But uh, Mr. Wrestling was there in that first year, 1975. Uh, two great German boys, uh, Kurt and Carl von Steiger, make their appearance in 1975. They're going to become stars in there in 1976. But uh, these guys were great talents from all over the world. I was lucky to get them. And uh, they came in and they provided some great, great matches. Uh, I carried the tag championship belts for most of the time that they were there. I was lucky in 1975 to get one of the hottest wrestling teams in the country. Had them for maybe only three or four shows. But I'm talking about the interns. They were managed by Dr. Ken Ramey. Uh, They were another worldwide wrestling team that was recognized as the best wherever they went. Uh, and I had an opportunity to show these different teams to fans that had never seen this type of talent before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that, that's what made it great. That's what's what made things happen. Uh, Charlie cook. And and I, and when I look back at 75, I didn't even realize that Charlie cook wrestled for me a couple of times in 1975. And, uh, now he, you know, we're talking about 1978. He's there in Pensacola. He's about to come to the Knoxville territory. But he was originally there in 1975. He was a pro football player with the Pittsburgh Steelers, linebacker, and a great one at that. Nine years he played football before he ever wrestled. But he was one of those guys that came in 1975. Yeah, I don't know what kind of impression he made upon the fans. I can tell you this, Dave. He made a tremendous impression on me. By golly, hmm. uh, he was hmm. he was a great athlete, and uh, and uh, and I was really lucky and happy to get him in 1978 when we opened down there in Southeastern Wrestling. 
I had an opportunity to get a star that my dad had wrestled in the 60s in Atlanta, who was one of the hottest wrestlers ever in the history of the Atlanta territory. Uh, and he was managed uh, in 1975 when he came to wrestle for me on a couple of shows, uh, three or four shows, was El Mongol. And uh, he was managed by Rock Hunter, who was actually a wrestler for me and a star for me, basically. So, uh, you know, El Mongo uh, was, uh, was, he gave Vance an opportunity to see a different type of Mongolian wrestler. His style was totally different than uh, Archie Henderson's, you know, Archie, uh, Archie Goldie's style. And uh, Archie Goldie's uh, Mongolian stomper style was, you know, wow. There, you couldn't even hardly compare the two in a way. But uh, I was great. It was great for me to be able to, to get to use the El Mongo. Uh, another guy came there. It wasn't until November of 1975 who uh, became a star everywhere I ever took him, everywhere I ever used him. And I think probably he became a star everywhere he ever went in, in, in any territory. And uh, he came in 1975, and he's going to become a, a staple. He's going to become one of the guys we hang our hat on to get it done for us, and that was Don Carson. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so Carson arrived in November 1975. And that's what's great about this. When I look back and I saw all these names, I was like, gosh, I didn't think Carson was there as early as 75. But he was. And he started laying this foundation that you have to have to build a great territory. Is You have to have a lot of stars and you have to have a, a, great, uh, a great group of them that are territory builders. And that's what Don Carson was. And Don Carson's greatest asset, I think, was his ability to to bring life to your dressing room. Uh, and bad. without Don Carson, I don't think we could have had the success we had because as time went by, we became known, Southeastern did, for having dressing rooms, Continental, all the, all the territories I ever owned became known for having these great dressing room, uh, uh, the ambiance, man. I mean, uh, everybody was happy. Everybody was talking, you know, and that didn't happen in a lot of big territories. You had these guys that felt like they were the stars and, and they didn't talk to each other. Dressing rooms, I've been in a lot of them in other territories in which you go, wow, this is horrible. Well, how, how, how can people deal with this day after day? And uh, Don Carson made that happen for us in Southeastern and, uh, and it, we just kept it. It just came to keep rolling after he left. Uh, he set the tone for the dressing room. And that was a great asset to your company because if your wrestlers having a good time and they're all, they're all uh, communicating and they're all getting along and they're all enjoying themselves in a dressing room, they're gonna give you a great match when that bell rings. And uh, so Don Carson deserves a lot of credit. Yeah. Wow. Bobby Fields, name you'll be familiar with mm -hmm. uh, down in that mm -hmm. area. Yeah. Uh, family member, uh, one of the Welches, uh, by way of, of uh, marriage, uh, his father, um, uh, Virgil Hatfield, married uh, uh, my Roy's sister, one of my Roy's sisters, and he had four of them. So, uh, you know, uh, 
He's one of the Fields brothers, great athletes those guys were. Uh, they bought that uh, the, uh, the uh, old territory down there, Gulf Coast Territory, from my father in 1958. They did a great job with it for many, many years. And uh, Bobby came and worked for me several times. Same deal. Says, Ron, I want to help you. Uh, you know, I know it's hard to start a territory. I know it's hard to make it happen. And uh, and I want to come and, and see what I can do to help you. And uh, and he certainly did that for me. Uh, had some great matches for me. Uh, next guy, I don't even know how to start with. Here, where this guy, what I owe this guy, Dave, uh, uh he he's he's not this he was not just a wrestler he was the epitome of a man hmm. i mean an man man you know he he just he had a he had an aura about him and uh and uh, he was probably one of the most uh, gosh he would probably be one of the mo most deadly humans if he wanted to be that couldn't be and at the same time, one of the nicest people that you could ever meet, and that was Bob Armstrong. And wow. he was there uh -huh. in 1975, toward the end of 1975. Uh, and I had been around him some in, uh, in Florida in the early 70s. I knew that if I ever had a chance to get that guy into my territory, that, uh, that he was going to be he was going to make me a success and uh by golly he did and not only that uh he he became uh one of the one of the greatest friends i ever had and uh and we lost a lot it's almost exactly a year ago that he left us wow and uh doesn't seem like it could be that long but <laughs> you know it's what a great guy he was bob and uh and, uh, well, I'm glad to have an opportunity. I'm glad to, that I could put his name on this list because he, he really, he, he just lit it up every night. No doubt. <clears throat> then we got a team right at the end of December <clears throat> 1975. They came in. They were going to just light it up, speaking of lighting it up. They were going to light it up in 1976 for me. And uh, that was guys that you're extremely familiar with, uh, Dick Dunn and Tarzan Baxter. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And those guys came in with masks on, Dave, and uh, you have seen their talent for years and years down there in the Gulf Coast. <laughs> and uh, I knew once they came, I saw their first match. I don't know if they'd ever wrestled partners. And I know they'd never wrestled under the hood. And, uh, and they went in the ring as the superstars. And by golly, they came out, in my mind, as true superstars. I mean, those guys looked like they had wrestled together for years and years. And uh, they did so much for me. Uh, 1975 is when they made their first appearance. They're going to make a big name for not just themselves, but they're going to start to put Southeastern on the map in 1976. Uh, only got a couple more. One of them came late 75. Uh, he became the manager of the championship team that we had back in those days after Dutch and John Foley's run. Uh, Norvell Austin teamed up with a guy named Butch Malone, and uh, they got themselves a manager. I got him a manager, and a guy that I'd never done business with before, 
that turned out to be a tremendous manager. Wow, what heat he got. And uh, that was General Homer Odell. And uh, Homer was a unique individual. Uh, just, uh, you know, there wasn't many Homer Odells. And, uh, and he was so horrified of the fans. He was horrified of riots. He had his, his phobias. Uh, and uh, he was a very unusual guy, but uh, he made a name for himself. He got fans' attention, and uh, that's what we really needed to get the thing started in 1975. The last one on this list, I didn't realize until I was looking at this that he ever wrestled for me in 1975. I didn't think he started wrestling for me or dealing with me until 1978, until three years later. But I found him on one of the cards, and that's Billy Spears. So, yeah. you know, I got Billy wow. Spears, who in 1978 is going to go to down there in the Gulf Coast to a territory that had been dead at that point. It was really gone. It, it, and uh, and Billy Spears kind of helped me light that thing up down there. He brought in those Roger Smith and uh, Randy Colley and uh, those uh, that assassin team and got us off the ground down there. So uh, he not only gets a little credit for 75, I want to give him some credit for 1978 as well. And uh, that's, uh, that's about the... Uh, looking at and like I said at the beginning of this, I know mm -hmm. I've missed a whole bunch. I know mm -hmm. I've left out some guys that probably deserve it, but uh, you got to I got to cut it off somewhere here. Right. And, uh, and and you know I'm just really really uh, I guess I'm really I was blessed to have all this great talent want to come in and want to want to help me get a, a a territory started that is going to become a big big name. And I had never had any idea that a Southeastern wrestling was going to turn into what it did. Uh, but uh, couldn't have done it without this group. Well, definitely some big names along the way and some of the absolute biggest in the history of wrestling, Andre the Giant among them. So I'm telling you, that is absolutely a who's who list from 1975. No doubt about it. Hey, listen, we're kind of far along in the show. I think we can just keep going without a break. The, the next segment, I think is going to be pretty fascinating. You want to just run right, get, get right into it. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be great, Dave. Yeah. I didn't realize, you know, I, like I said, uh, there's a lot involved here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't have to have a break into this one. Let's just uh, continue on. And, uh, uh, I guess I'll let you know where we're going to ride from here. Okay. Why not? Let's do it. Where do we go? Okay. Uh, I think I'm going to tell fans of my choice of the most important matches of 1975. And, uh, and I'll even give them the dates that they occurred. Okay. Because when I, when I went back and looked at all these cards, uh, uh, I was like, wow, some of these cards were just fantastic. And, uh, and, and, and the, the matches that occurred, uh, were very memorable as well. So, uh, so let's just do that, man. Uh, let's let's start now. We've talked about the stars. Let's talk about the highlights and the matches that was had cool. and, uh, and the great cards. All right. So the first one was uh, January 24th, 1975. I think this was the first Coliseum show of Southeastern ever had. And uh, it was an NWA World Championship match between Jack Briscoe and another guy that wasn't on the list, 
but I can, I'm glad to be able to speak about him now, who really, really contributed an immense amount to, to uh, the wrestling uh, for Southeastern, and that was a uh, world junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Roy. So on January 24th, 1975, mm -hmm. we have a world title match for the heavyweight championship with the world junior heavyweight champion taking on the heavyweight champion, Jack Briscoe. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and that that's that was my thinking when I booked it. It's like, wow, what a match these guys are going to have. And I watched it, and it was absolutely awesome. Uh, what a great, great match. And uh, Jack Briscoe won right in the middle, uh, which is the way it should be. He's the world champion, and uh, Nelson Royal didn't have a problem making that happen. And uh, while the match was just truly remarkable, it set the tone for Coliseum matches. And, uh, you know, they'd never wrestled in the Coliseum. And that building had been there since the 1960s. And, uh, and uh, John Kazan, the promoter that was there before me, had never gone to the Coliseum. I don't know why. He just wanted to stay in Chilhowee Park. I felt like the Coliseum was critical to the growth of Southeastern because it was going to get us a different fan base. Not only what John had gotten, but it was going to bring in some, some uh, different, different type of uh, fan. So uh, uh, then a week later after that one, we come back with a second Coliseum event, and that was on the 31st of uh, January, 1975. It was an 18-man battle royal with the old big man himself, uh, Andre the Giant, on his first trip to Knoxville, first time there. And uh, uh, wow, hmm. Andre, the relationship with Andre is just, it's, it's, it's the first super stud cast. Uh, for those that want to hear it, uh, you can get it at tnstud.com. Yeah. Uh, yep. And that's uh, the first one. And wow, the stories I have of Andre are pretty remarkable. And my history with Andre is pretty remarkable. And, uh, Thank God I got to meet Andre the Giant. Uh, next event that really stood out for me was on March the 23rd, 1975. It was another Coliseum show. And it was a Coliseum show in which the Florida office sent a contingent to help me out. Uh, and uh, the, the Mid-Atlantic, uh, Jim Crockett Sr., uh, sent me one match to help me out. And uh, the uh, territory uh, out of uh, out of uh, Memphis sent me another match uh, to help me out. Uh, wow, I had, had so many friends, not just wrestlers, but promoters as well, as well. And on this card, Crazy Luke Graham wrestled against Bobo Brazil. On this card, I wrestled against Cowboy Bill Watts. On this card, Eddie and Mike Graham wrestled against Dutch Mantell and John Foley. And what a match that was. Mm -hmm. And also on that card, March the 23rd, 1975, Ken Patera wrestled against Ric Flair. Wow. Both of them young guys. What a classic match they had. And I think they came over there from Carolina with the thought in mind, well, we're going to blow this, blow them away over there. They're never going to see anybody uh, like this kind of talent. But uh, 
I guarantee you, and, and I don't have, I don't remember talking to Rick Flair about it, Rick, but uh, I guarantee you they were blown away by that card. They watched those guys. They watched Graham. They watched Bobo Brazil. They watched Cowboy Bill Watts, Eddie and Mike Graham. Uh, it just went on and on and on. And uh, I guarantee you they went back to the Mid-Atlantic going, wow, they got something going over there, you know, so. Uh, it was good. It was really good to have uh, have all those other guys on that card as well. Uh, next one was uh, April 11th, 1975. This card was in Chihuahua Park. And this one had a, a special significance for me. And it's the reason I put it on here is uh, I was going to be wrestling against another former NWA champion. Oh. Uh, actually, the second ever NWA champion, the guy that beat Luthes for the title, Pat O'Connor. Wow. And uh, Pat O'Connor and I were friends. I had been wrestling in, in St. Louis in 1973, 74. Uh, Pat and I got to be friends. Pat, Pat started letting me figure my finishes uh, because my finishes were so much better than his. And he, he told me that, Ron, he goes, wow. Your finishes are great. And then he started, uh, he was the booker for St. Louis to Sam Munchnick's territory. And uh, and he, he, by 74, he, he, wanted, he had me booking every match. He figured finishes for all of the matches. So he told me, he said, I owe you, Ron. And he said, uh, I'm going to come and wrestle for you. You call me and tell me when. And I called in the favor. On April the 11th, in 1975, <laughs> and uh, me and Pat O'Connor had a tremendous wrestling match in the Old Chill High Park uh, building. Uh, may have been outside, as a matter of fact, because it was April, but probably it was inside the Old Jacobs building. But uh, that's one of the memorable matches for me. Also, in that same month of April, on the 27th, we're back in the Coliseum. And I wrestled for the NWA world title against Jack Briscoe. And also on that card, my brother wrestled against Jack's brother, Jerry. And uh, that match was a classic match. Uh, it's one of the few matches in which it is the only match in which uh, uh, a, a contestant of, against the NWA world champion uh, got his hand raised. Uh, and actually left the left the arena with the belt. Uh, in fact, they, it got the Jack Briscoe had such a big problem from Sam Mudsick about it that uh, that he he said it, it better never ever happen again. So uh, and I actually got my hand raised. Uh, Jack <laughs> uh, Jack got beat, uh, and I came in. Ron Wright got involved. Jerry Briscoe got involved. Uh, it was one of those finishes, classic finish. Uh, never done, never been done. I don't, I'm sure anyplace else. And I don't think we ever did it afterward. And uh, it was a great match. Uh, Jack, uh, Jack was just a, a very, very close friend of mine and uh, kind of like a mentor to me for all those years in Florida. And that was my first opportunity to wrestle against him. And uh, what a great match we had. And uh, like I said, Robert and Jerry actually wrestled on that same card. So as two brothers, against each other on uh, April 27, 1975. Uh, May the 23rd, 1975, this is another Chill High Park event. 
And the reason I put this one on there is because it was the Mongolian Stompers' first appearance ever against Tommy Rich. And, uh, and it had special significance because, you know, Dave, we talked about uh, how, the, how the Mongolian Stomper had been driving the fans crazy in <laughs> Southeastern. Right. Uh, yeah. Gulf Coast. You know, just uh, coming out of the dressing room and attacking the crowd yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. That's what happened on uh, May the 23rd, 1975 in Chihuahua Park in the amphitheater outside. <laughs> all right. And he he had uh, he had the ringside people and hardly any of them were in their seats by the time he got his uh, act over before Tommy Rich ever got to the ring. Mongolian Stomper had rioted the crowd. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, and then I have, uh, three Coliseum events in a row in November, 1975 that were to me kind of really stood out. Uh, first of all, it was the first time we'd ever had three Coliseum events in a row. Uh, so obviously it said by November of 1975 that we had grown enough that we we're going to be able to run three shows in a row in that big Coliseum. So on the 6th of November, 1975, the card was a triple main event. It was me against the assassin, Jody Hamilton, a hair versus mask match. The second event, main event was a Southern title match between Bob Armstrong and Tommy Seeger, <laughs> a baby face match. Wow. Uh, gosh, I watched the dudes are absolutely phenomenal. And the third main event was a Brass Nucks championship match between Rock Hunter and another baby face who was still a baby face at this point. And the darn good one, people, the fans loved him. Rock Hunter against Ron Wright. Uh, three top matches. Uh, wow. A tremendous card uh, worthy of the Coliseum. Then we came back next week with another one on uh, November the 13th, 75. And this was, again, this was the first ever two-ring battle royal that we'd ever had in Southeastern wrestling. And uh, our the big man, Andre the Giant, was there again. He came in, so we put him in another battle royal, <laughs> a two-ringer this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember one of the promotions we did, and I don't think we ever did anyone like this afterward, but the first thousand kids through the door got a free eight by 10 photo of Andre. Wow. Okay. So, you know, it was a, it was a great promotion. Uh, it got the families there. Uh, it, it helped us. Uh, it, and, uh, wow. It, it helped us to get to where we were, man. Uh, we were starting to, to try to, uh, to attract all fans. Of all the families, did uh, this everybody? Uh, so, uh, wow, it was a great promotion, and it really just blew people's mind. Uh, then on uh, the very next week after that, on November twentieth, nineteen seventy-five, Jack Briscoe was back for his third title defense of the year. And uh, guess who he was with in this in this one, Dave? You probably probably can't guess, but uh, he was still a babyface. Uh, and, uh, and wow, he deserved uh, it. Uh, Ron Wright. No, come on. <laughs> Jack Briscoe against Ron Wright. For wow. The okay. Wow. So, I mean, that to me alone says, wow, this has got to be on the list. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, I don't know how many times Ron Wright, and well, I know Ron Wright wrestled for the world title probably quite a few times because he was a top star long before I ever came to Knoxville. He was a top star there. And, uh, and then the last card uh, we don't touch on is, uh, was Christmas night, 1975. Uh, and it was the first ever uh, Christmas Day card uh, for Southeastern. And what really struck me is uh, I had been a heel for almost all that year from the very beginning of the opening of the territory all the way into the summer of 1975. Most of those matches I had had uh, was against the big baby face, Ron Wright. Uh, and on December night, December uh, of uh, 1975, mm -hmm. uh, Christmas Day, uh, uh, two bitter foes, man, for most of 1975, we teamed up to win the Tennessee Tag Championship from Norvell Austin and Butch Malone, managed by Jimmer, General Homer Odell. Wow. All right. There's another incredible list and a ton of memories coming back for Knoxville folks in 1975, especially. That is awesome. That's a remarkable stud cast, Ron. So, all right. What are the plans for uh, you want to do this again sometime, like follow up with 1976? Well, you know, it kind of depends on how listeners have enjoyed this one, you know, and uh, and hopefully, you know, I, I communicate with uh, people on social media and I put in uh, uh, lots of posts. Uh, but uh, hopefully they kind of let me know, uh, you know, uh, on, on my social media sites, uh, whether they like this or not. Uh, if they do, then uh, I'll be glad to do one for 76 and 77 and uh, even 78, you know. So uh, uh, just uh, they just need to let me know. And uh, I may post something and uh, leave them the opportunity to, to tell me yes or no. Uh, if they liked it, uh, we'll do another one. And if they don't, uh, we'll continue doing what we have been doing. It's kind, kind of going to depend on how the listeners have enjoyed it and uh, and hopefully everybody out there, if you just let me know uh, what you think about these, uh, we might be able to go ahead and do another one uh, in this year uh, uh, that we're into 1978. Uh, mm -hmm. ne so next week, we're going to go back kind of do what we normally do. But uh, yeah. uh, they just let me know. Uh, we'll see what happens. All right. And speaking of all those social media hits and the stuff like that, that's kind of the next thing up on the plan. Fans can contact the stud about how they like this episode at any of the following locations. Of course, on Facebook, as we mentioned every week, the Ron Fuller Welch, Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page is full of friends. No more can be added to that page to become friends with Ron. You got to follow him at Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud Facebook page, like him, follow him there automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. As simple as that on Twitter. The website, it's famous, tnstud.com. That's the rep website that everybody, it's a definite resource, tnstud.com. It's got everything, every studcast ever done. 43 three-hour super studcasts are there too. Only $2.99 each. They're legendary. Shop the stud store, all kinds of souvenirs personally autograph photos, t-shirts, and the thrilling lion novel, Brutus, all at tnstud.com. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube, great place to find your stud cast every week as well. You get up-to-date info on Ron's fantastic streaming channel at Classic 
ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. The streaming channel now has 322 videos on it. Brutus now has eight great chapters of Ron's own audio version of Brutus with him doing four characters with his voice. There are now 74 Southeastern TV shows there. Everyone from 1978 through 1982, now in the original order of production. 23 Continental TV shows, 23 USA TV shows, 42 stud stories, five stars of the sport, four superstars of the past, and three two-hour documentaries. And that is only the beginning. And even up to the time this comes out, there could be more added. Subscribe now at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. $4.99 per month or only $39.99 per year. That's a great savings. It's the best old school streaming site on the planet. Don't miss the special offer right now. Limited time only. Get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Okay, Rod, so we're back in the saddle. We take the big ride next week. And do we go back to 1978? Well, that's what we're going to do, I think, my man. We're going to jump back in the saddle. Uh, we're going to return to October of 1978. And uh, basically, we're going to try to pick up where we left off last episode. And southeastern Knoxville is going to see the return of Tor Tanaka, man. Uh, the arrival of a new mass wrestler, the Destroyer. Uh, Ronnie Garvin, we'll be talking about Ronnie Garvin and Malenko in a southeastern tag title match. And uh, Mike Stallings is going to make uh, his appearance there in uh, Knoxville. Uh, and he hadn't been there since he had spent the first nine months or 10 months in uh, southeastern Gulf Coast. So southeastern Gulf Coast, speaking of that, uh, is just as hot as Knoxville at this point. And uh, there's a triple main event there. And I'm going to have my first ever baby face match in that territory's history against the Mongolian stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles going to team up to go after the new Southeastern belts uh, of the Assassins. We've dropped the Gulf Coast name, and the titles now are going to be called Southeastern titles. And uh, in this uh, another match on that triple main event, and my brother Robert is going to meet Don Carson in a Texas death match. And uh, obviously, uh, there's going to be more about this uh, continuing uh, uh, continuing story, basically, about the Knoxville War of 1979. And that, that's as we move closer to that time frame, obviously. Oh, good deal. All right. So that's quite a lineup, Stud, as we return to the usual format. Any final words today as we, as we get ready to wrap it up? Well, I certainly hope everybody has enjoyed the show out there today. I know it's a little different and it was unexpected. It was unexpected for me. I didn't even think I would get into this until I actually went back to look at 1978. Uh, but anyway, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show and, uh, and I hope you'll let me know on my social media sites uh, if you have enjoyed it. And uh, we'll try to see about uh, doing some more of these. And as always, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three.
This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.